evening, brother. How are you? How are you? I am good. I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, I am. Yeah, it's been a been a long day today. A lot of work, and I'd say it's been quite productive. I feel like I'm not looking forward to tomorrow because it's Monday, which means work. But I'm at least glad that. I've ticked a lot of things off my to-do list. You know when you actually write things on your list just so that you have that positive feeling of ticking them off at the end. I've got yeah. a lot of ticks that I'm looking at right now, so I'm happy. How about you, man? How you doing? Again, I can't, I can't complain. Um, I feel blessed to be able to, to help. Um, it's just come to my mind now, there was an instance after church, this is Sunday people, um, where a guy called came up to me, Bulgarian man, um, builder, um, came up to me very politely saying that he, he was just after work. Um, and I, I raised this because we were able to help him, we were able to give him money, but also think about instances of how we could link him to people. He was just telling me his story about how he, he left Bulgaria, so two sons, he showed me a picture of his sons, um, I think one was called Mezut, one was seven, one was ten, and it it touched me because I thought, imagine do, having to do that. And he was explaining, as we were going to the cashman, he was explaining how his family had to send him money. <laughs> it's not even him Jeez. trying to send them money. I'm like, wow, um, it's, I've, I've got no work for you right now, but um, I know in time that there might be, and I'll, I'll link it to link you to people I know. But I, I just share this to say that at all times, there are people out there who need our support and we can support and when they do ask us for support please help um there are many reasons why i help a man like that one be my own upbringing my own experiences as a child but another is the fact that for a man to approach someone in public and basically come uh, cap in hand saying can you help me that takes a great deal like stereotypes aside, men, we want to be able to provide and we want to be able to know that we can provide, but to have to humble yourself and do that, that, that must be honored um, and must be supported humbly also. So yeah, that it just came to mind when you were asking me about the day and I, I thought, you know, it might be good for someone to hear that. So when they have that instance of they, them seeing someone who needs assistance, just to remember that often they themselves don't ask for help. So when someone does ask for help, just try to imagine how deep their situation is. No, absolutely. And I think um, the majority of our audience would respond in kind to somebody reaching out to us like that. Uh, so... I think to encourage everybody, keep in mind the fact that if somebody was to reach out to you and ask for support, you would probably provide it. So if you are worried about reaching out to others and asking for support, if you are in need, remember how you would respond if you heard that. Mm. And also the, the other point I'd make about that is just the idea of how hungry are you to succeed? Yes. Because if you are really keen on being successful and achieving your dreams, things like pride fall out the window. And I don't mean you should humiliate yourself, but you should definitely be humble. And part of being humble is asking for support 
and asking for help. So yeah, that that has been something which I have had to manage for a very long time because of the idea of me being a man and all of the stereotypes linked to being a man. You don't show signs of weakness, etc. But often if you are going to achieve your goals, you need to be willing to ask people for support. So yeah, I, what you're saying definitely stands out to me. And, and this is why we do a lot of the things that we do um, on this podcast and out of this podcast. It almost sounds like a, a pitch for the podcast. It's not people. Um, but this is where we are able to help those who were once us. Um, Abby and I, often when we have one-to-one conversations with uh, fellow entrepreneurs, we often share that for years we've craved and wanted support and we've never um, received the support we've given back. That reciprocity hasn't been there. But we continue to do it because we know actually maybe God's plan is for us to be that support. Um, I know today that we've got a very, very impactful, informative episode. So I, I do pray that it supports someone in taking that next step. Agreed. And as Afalabi said, we've got a good one for you today. You've already read in the title what it's about, so I'm hoping you've got your pen and paper ready. We've been asked this question a few times, and we really wanted to do it justice. And the question effectively is, how do you start and build an e-commerce brand? Now, if we really wanted to do this question justice, we would probably need a, a month to talk you through all of the intricacies, all of the nuances around an e-commerce brand. But what we've got over the next 50 minutes or so is some of the key takeaways that if you put some of these into practice, you will be successful. And then what you need to do once you've done them is send us your messages specifically about the challenges that you're dealing with so that we can share with you some of the insights that we've got. But I'd say today what we're going to be providing you is a clear framework about building a, a successful profitable e-commerce brand and then we can talk specifically about some of the challenges that you have so without further ado let's get into it so the first question i have is a very simple one but one that i think is worth us clarifying afalabi when we say e-commerce what are we talking about specifically what is an e-commerce business Lovely. So e-commerce is simply electronic buying or selling over the internet. So this covers everything from Amazon to do-it-yourself Wix websites. Um, trillions of pounds are and trillions in whatever currency is spent online every year. So this is brilliant because it means that everyone's got an opportunity to actually participate in this exchange of goods or services for currency, as long as you have the internet access. That's a really key point. So we're talking about selling um, online. And the beauty about selling online is you're not restricted by some of the more traditional methods of selling. One of the key ones is geographically. So if you have a retail store in the West End, then the only people that you can serve are people who come to you in the West End. Now, that's great because West Ham has great footfall, but, you know, not everybody else, not everyone can afford a location with great footfall. 
Now, being able to actually sell products and services to a wide range of people comes with both advantages and challenges. So through this discussion, we're gonna be highlighting what some of those advantages and challenges are and how to, to maximize them. Um, so with the steps that we're gonna cover, Afalabi, are there any kind of key points that you wanna make people aware of before we actually delve into them? Yes, crucial. Um, it's, it's really important that everything that you're about to hear is being told to you with the assumption that you have validated your offering and that you completed the 10 steps on how to build a business in 30 days. If you're hearing that check for the first time, episode, yeah. check out the episode. It's there. It's, it's a winner. It's a favorite. Go through each of those steps, notepad and pen. Second, um, whilst planning this, two key phrases just kept on coming to mind for us, and it's traffic and conversion rate. So irrespective of your value proposition, cost model, partnerships, profits or experiences, e-commerce for me, for us, is all about traffic and conversion rates. How many people visit the website and how can you increase this? How many people purchase or complete your call to action and how can you increase this? So again, think traffic, people coming and your conversion rate. So let's get into it. So first of all, let's talk platforms. So when it comes to your e-commerce website, fortunately, you don't necessarily have to go through the pain of building your own um a website with with a, a, a back end that's customized to you there are so many different um, build as you go website builders facilities that you can actually use in order to create a functional e-commerce website pretty much out of the box now we've spoken about our favorite and what we like to use Shop, shopify wins hands down for us but I want to talk a little bit more about why we've picked Shopify and also what types of things people should think about when they're choosing their e-commerce platform. So for you, Afalabi, what stands out as the reason why Shopify wins for you when you're looking for an e-commerce website builder? One, um, it's the aesthetics. So before we get to the back end, front end, front end aesthetics of Shopify, they're, I want to say they're winning, but they won historically with the, the amount of investment going into many of their competitors, which I'm going to allow you to delve into. They're being caught up um, in, in the past. You had a, a huge competitor in Wix, um, extremely popular, but you could tell a Wix website if you've ever built a website. You could just tell from its functionality, from its menu bar, that, oh, this is a Wix website. And that's an issue. Um, an issue largely because you aren't able to diversify or personalize as much as you'd wish to. So one for me, the aesthetics, the number of templates you could use, the number of um, backend designers who you could actually employ to personalize your website, Shopify winning. Two, analytics. The Shopify analytics mm. were incredible. Um, this is what I favor more than the front end. The, the insights which they will give you, um, people are actually paying for those insights elsewhere through third-party companies. 
well, Shopify will give you that. And I mean insights on everything. We'll probably go into that in a little bit more depth later on, but I'm talking about inserts in terms of um, location of customers, location of visits, the devices being used by visits, the websites which are driving you traffic, your conversion rates by hour, day, month, your, um, that they're just, it's just endless, the, the geographical locations of visits, which pages have the highest bounce rates. It, it, it's endless. It's, it's actually too much data, to be brutally honest. Mm. But it's enough for you to learn how to become an entrepreneur. Because many of the insights that they're giving you, you, prior to building your website, didn't even know that you would want. So that's why I choose Shopify. Analytics, aesthetics. And when we talk about aesthetics, what I will say is that we do have some of the key competitors, Wix and Squarespace in particular, starting to really overshadow Shopify. So in terms of customization, if you wanted to customize your website with some interesting widgets and make it do some interesting animations, Wix and Squarespace are now in a league of their own. I'd probably say Wix mm. was number one and Squarespace not too far behind in terms of what you can do. A lot of investment has gone into to, to both of those two platforms and they come with their own e-commerce systems and also things like booking systems as well. Um, so the the decision is a lot harder if you're looking at creating a beautiful website and you want to be able to ma manipulate the front end so it does exactly what you want shopify probably isn't for you wix and squarespace are probably the ones that you want to spend some time on however shopify still wins when it comes to the analytics there's still for me no question about the quality of the analytics their um, mobile app is very straightforward and they do a b testing so they they test out maybe different ways of sharing the information with you so that you can pick the best way that works for you it's still the best in terms of analytics but there are some some new players so you may have heard of woo woo woocommerce um godaddy is now stepping into this space yes uh big commerce so it all depends on what you prioritize and also what your budget is so if you want to maybe start to deal with some of these new challenges, the WooCommerce companies, the prices are a lot more competitive. And over time, they may actually start really uh, competing and defeating some of the more established players. Um, what I would say is that once you've picked a website, it can be very painful. Sorry, I'll say that again. Once you've picked a website builder, it can be very painful to switch from one to yes. another. So really take the time to make sure that you're happy with the website builder that you have, because that is a relationship, not only with the, the software, but also with the customer service team that are behind the software, because mm. guaranteed you're going to have questions. Um, one other thing about Wix before we move on is one of the reasons why I was really disappointed with Wix in the early days was the speed at which Wix, Wix websites loaded. Oh, yes. And that's another thing that people need to think about when you're designing your website. How quick is it for somebody to get from your homepage to the checkout? Does it take forever for your pages to load or do they load very quickly? And that can be for a range of things. Maybe the, um, the servers aren't very... Um, 
good at loading uh, large uh, images or data heavy content. Um, maybe there is an issue with actually the geographical location of the servers, or maybe they're not very good at compressing content when it goes into the live version. Whatever the reason is, um, you want to take that into consideration before you pick your website builder, because once you have it, it's a relationship you're going to have for a while. It is. It is. I completely forgot about the pain of those early days of Wix. And I say the early days because I've, I've heard a great deal about the investment. Um, the competitors are catching up. GoDaddy yep. has invested a great deal in also, so do check them out. But there are others. There are other smaller ones which might have better deals in terms of their packages. But do find out, at one, are they all responsive in the early days? By responsive, I mean that the functionality in the mobile is as good as the desktop. In the early days, Shopify was best for that. Others were very clunky. And you'll just realize that your images are all over the place. Everyone's caught up. But also do check what it's like to communicate with their customer service and their backend. Many of them will have packages where you have easier access to their customer service operators. But, but investigate as to what that offering is. Absolutely. So... Now our entrepreneurs have picked their website builder, they've designed their website, and their next question is how can we get as many people as possible to actually land on our homepage? So at this stage, we wanna be thinking about search engine optimization in particular, and also other forms of marketing. I'll talk about search engine optimization very briefly because this is a world in itself. But all you're doing when it comes to search engine optimization is making it as easy as possible for people to find you when they search for items relevant to your business. How can you do that? Well, there's a bunch of ways you can do that. You can do that through making sure that all of the images on your website are appropriately um, uh, labeled. You can do that by making sure that your website is full of phrases and terms which customers who are going to be searching your website or searching your products or service are going to need to interact with. So for instance, if you have a, a skincare brand, maybe you want to be using phrases like dry skin or hydrating lotion or um, low cost cleanser, whatever it is that you think people are actually gonna be searching in Google, make sure that that's captured somewhere or in multiple places in your website. But also, as I said, making sure that your images are correctly labeled, making sure that your content is nice and punchy, adding things like videos and um, blogs and customer comments, all to make sure that people can actually find your website when they're searching on Google. But this makes me think we probably need to do at some point a whole episode on SEO for, for people yes. who want to delve into that. Definitely. Um, one thing I'll add to that is, is backlinks. So mm. Google are very intuitive in terms of ensuring that you can't scam the system. So in the early days, many of us were just using the, the tags, those keyword phrases frequently throughout the website. But if they notice you're doing that, they almost block you. 
So what Google tries to do, which is very fair, is to rank people after the ads, which you see, based on frequency of visits. So it's not merely frequency of you having that keyword in your website. But to aid that, I do recommend backlinks. One mm. thing I do in terms of our competitor analysis is to look to see how many backlinks a competitor has. Um, mischievous, possibly, but you should definitely do it in your competitor analysis. 100%. If you're not doing a competitor analysis, go back to how to build a business in 30 days. <laughs> um, you... One other thing when we talk about Google in particular is they have these bots called web crawlers. So Google doesn't employ people to actually go on your website and find out what your website is doing. They've got these very intelligent web crawlers, which are these AI bots that go onto your website and find out all about your business. And they'll work out whether you're cheating the system. So one of the other ways that Google uh, prioritizes brands on their first page is they look at how much time people are spending on the website. So if you go on a website and you only spend five seconds on a website and log out, then you're not going to get a high score. But if yes. people go on websites and they spend minutes, um, even up to an hour on a website, then you get a very high score and you'll feature more prominently um, in search results. But people thought they could cheat the system. So one way that people thought they could, could cheat the system is they would potentially open or create links from their website which would mean that it would open to videos that would recur um, for, for hours. So now you've clicked on this link. Now there's a video that's playing forever um, or for, for, for four or five hours per, per se. Now that's a really cheeky way of trying to cheat the system, but the web crawlers are very smart and they understand that, okay, this person's trying to cheat the system. They don't get the high rate ranking. Um, the other thing that people would do is um, to try and cheat the system is to use certain keywords a lot. So for example, you know, your, your skincare company, you know that people uh, are very um, interested in terms like dry skin. So you just have a page on your website that says dry skin, dry skin, dry skin, dry skin, dry skin, dry skin, dry skin. Now, previously in the old iterations of Google, the, the crawlers weren't smart enough to, to, to figure out what was going on here. But the newer version, they'll pick up exactly what you're doing and it would fail. But what, the reason why I mentioned that is because some of the principles in these, these very cheeky people are really useful things that you can adopt. So in order to make people stay on your website for longer, you can have video content that is going to have people tune into that video for a long period of time. Mm. If you have a podcast, for example, why not put your podcast on your website, which means that people are going to spend up to an hour on your website, which means that there's a good chance that it gets uh, pushed up the, um, the, the, the priority list. Uh, same again, if you've got keywords that you know that your audience cares about, like dry skin, why not actually just create a blog where you're talking specifically about how to deal with dry skin so that not only are people going to engage with your website because there's information about dry skin, but also you've got some organic content which probably uses the word dry skin a whole lot. So those are some ways that you can actually improve your SEO and ensure that people are actually visiting your e-commerce pages. Yes. Blogging is my favorite one. 
because I'm surprised at times at blogs which are three to four years old, which are still organically found, in that when people have genuine queries that they type into Google, they don't necessarily care who's providing the answer. They just want the answer. Absolutely. And thus, if you can have an answer alongside the thousand other answers out there that people randomly stumble across, it's even better for your bounce rate. Agreed. Branding. They've thought about SEO. Branding. Now, for me, I've always believed that your website needs to look like a showroom and less like a garage. Um, I made that mistake with my first Wix website, which was very cluttered. And when I showed it to people, they actually thought it was a magazine. And I thought, yeah, yeah, that's that's what I'm going for. Definitely. Um, Showroom. You want it to be spacious. You don't want it to be overly cluttered. People, there's there's a concept called geocoding, which is the idea that whilst people read through words and read through images, you want to ensure that the words and the images are saying the same message Mm. and they're not giving you too many messages at once to decipher. People won't tell you that that's what's happening, but their natural reaction of leaving your website is telling you that's what's happening. So spacious is best. Um, Apple did this really well, um, historically, with their website being one really long page where at times you just see images and very few words. They've started to diversify that, but many people adopted that style where less clutter, don't think PC world where people expect there to be loads and loads of things, but just showroom, a gallery, art exhibition. And make it as straightforward as possible for the customer to get from the beginning to the end of your website. So they've come to your website to make a purchase. They shouldn't have to click five or six times in order to get to the checkout. I'd say the magic yes. number should be three. Yes. They get to your homepage and they shouldn't have to click more than three times to get to the checkout. Yep, definitely. Review that, people. Okay, so we've got our platform. We thought about SEO. Now, each of these could be a video in themselves. Applications for growth. Now, one of the big things for me around uh, e-commerce websites is that many of them have in-house and third-party applications which you can plug in to improve your traffic and your conversion rate, particularly your conversion rate. Um, I've listed a few. Um, I'm going to mention some, and then I want to get your take on them. So these are in no specific order, um, but they're crucial. And there are countless apps that you can get following different categories, store design, orders, shipping, customer service, et cetera, et cetera. But one which I think you need to have in terms of type and not specific um, brand is a product review and galleries app. Now, Abby, why is it essential that they have a product review app slash gallery app? So a lot of the things that we're going to be talking about in this section are about minimizing risk. And it's minimizing risk for the business, but more importantly, minimizing risk for the customer. So when a customer comes onto your site, one of the first first things they're going to think about for your small business is how do I know I'm going to get the product that I pay for? 
How do I know this isn't a company that's just going to take my money and I never hear from them again? But also, how do I know that the, the product that I actually pay for is going to be of the quality that I expect? Now, the beauty of um, both product reviews and gallery apps is it addresses that question directly. A product review by, by a third party, by um, an anonymous person, allows people to feel reassured that this is a genuine website and this has a, th th this has a quality uh, first approach that I can buy into. So when you see a five star, four star review, then you know that this is a company that actually can be trusted. And similarly, with gallery apps where you can actually showcase the product in multiple places, people need to know how this product is going to fit into their lives. So by seeing it, not only in the showroom context, but by seeing it being worn or used by potential clients or customers, once again, it helps reduce the risk that this is not going to be for me. It reduces the risk that I'm going to be disappointed with the product. So that's why I'd say those are important. Definitely. All improving the conversion rate, all improving your credibility. Um, we are proud to have over a thousand client reviews on our website. We showcase that to show prospective clients, we're real. We know that you have visited other websites, but can they showcase this level of historical success? Now in that same vein of credibility, the next app which I strongly believe that you need is a version of a live chat app. Now, now for me, customer service is everything. I previously speak about customer service. I think it's just the lifeblood of every, any business. If your customer service is poor, shame on you for expecting business. Um, your live chat is an amazing way of you offering immediate responses to inquiries. People are going to inquire and they're going to test to see whether their inquiry is responded to. They're going to test to see whether there's just a bot. People are savvy now. They know that that live chat is actually just a robot who's going to offer um, pre-arranged responses based on keywords. But is there an actual person behind there? Put a person behind there. You can get live chat apps which link to your phone and come up almost like WhatsApp messages. Have a live chat app, crucial. It's the difference between that person thinking, mm, should I? Will it fit me? Can I return it? Information which they could actually get if they continue to search your website, but they don't want to. They no. just want someone to tell them. And if you don't in that moment, they've left. Probably to one of your competitors. And yeah, just think about it practically. So an e-commerce store, an online store, the only difference between that and a physical store is that it's virtual. Think about any other challenge that you might have in a physical store, which is somebody walks into your shop, you don't want them to leave without potentially purchasing something. So what does somebody, what does a shop walker do, worker do in that case? They walk up to the person and say, oh, hi, how can I help? Or do you have any questions? Yes. Um, what you're doing is you're making sure that that person feels comfortable enough to share some of their fears so that you can reassure them. Because when people are going on the live chat, what they are communicating is I am nervous about purchasing and yes. I need you to reassure me. So by having that functionality, you can actually take somebody through that journey, holding their hand so that they feel comfortable 
parting ways with their cash. Wonderful. So we've got product reviews, gallery apps, live chat. Next, we want to have last second pop-ups and order deadlines. So I mean, why is it integral that they have functionality, including last second pop-ups and order deadlines? So as you say, when it, um, when it comes to customers making purchases, they don't have to shop with you. They can shop with anybody they like. And often they'll shop around and go to multiple brands, multiple suppliers before landing on a decision. Now, with these last second pop-ups, with ordered um, deadline apps, what we're trying to encourage is people to go from a browsing mentality into an act now mentality. Mm. So these last second pop-ups could respond to somebody who's just about to leave your page and go and visit one of your competitors and it can add 10% off the price. Now that could be enough to entice that person to stay. Yes. And same with those deadline apps by making sure that people are aware, are aware that the deal that they have is about to run out will encourage them not to dilly dally or waste time, but to act now. Now they may actually regret the fact that you've manipulated them psychologically, but they've already spent their cash and then they're going to go into a position where they're dissonance avoiding, which means they're going to try and convince themselves after spending the money that they spent the money with the right company. But what you're trying to do with those last second pop-ups with those ordered deadlines is to force their hand and encourage them not to dilly dally anymore and to actually spend their cash. Definitely. And you can make it really intuitive in terms of those pop-ups can be triggered based on certain cart values, i.e. how much they're about to spend, or certain products being sold, which is incredible. Um, and that can be based on your understanding of your customers and your segmentation of them. Next, I strongly recommend smart search applications. Now, if we think about a high street store, they're rather mischievous. Some of them will be pumping popular music, but also fragrances into the store to make you feel good. But they'll also move their stock around. So each time you go in, it's like, well, there's new stuff. No, no, they've just moved the furniture around. Um, but what they will also do is to group outfits and complementing products together. How do you do that on an online store? Yes, you could do that potentially in terms of your categories, but you also want to be able to have the option of upselling and saying, well, actually, you're looking at this, but people who looked at this also like this. And thus you're aligning similar products together just to improve that customer experience to say, oh, how did you know I also wanted that? Yeah, I'll add that to the car as well. It's brilliant. Absolutely agree. And um, if we go back to the example of the physical store when you're at the checkout you'll notice that that's where they have the sweets and the chewing gum yep. and the random magazines because they know that from a psychological standpoint that this is the point at which people are going to pick up those odd little bits that they didn't come into the shop to buy they didn't come into the shop to buy the sweets or the chewing gum but just because it's there and they, they've seen it now they're at a position where they probably made a lot of decisions already and are just about to make one more. So 
from from your standpoint, by using things like smart searches, you're able to complement people's baskets or complement their purchases by adding that one or two uh, additional uh, products or service on top. They have now made the purchase and you've decided to have another plugin application which allows them to track and receive notifications. Now, now Abby, why would we recommend tracking and notification apps? So it goes back to that point that I mentioned earlier about reducing risk. Now, anytime somebody spends money with you as a brand, they are taking a risk and there's a level of nervousness about that risk, especially if they're a first time customer. They've spent money with you as an e-commerce brand. And unlike a physical store, they don't get to walk out of the shop with the product in their possession. They have to wait for it to be shipped. Mm. So by having things like tracking notification apps, you're able to um, convey to the customer that the product is on its way and that their product will be in their hands sooner. Imagine going into a store and buying a product and they said, oh, we'll post it to you. And you walking home after giving your money and not having a product in your hand. What would you be thinking? Do they have my right address? Um, when am I going to get it? Uh, are they going to send me the right thing? Am I, what happens if I need to return it? So by having these notification apps, these tracking apps, it just allows people to, to not only feel reassured that they're going to get the product, but also plan for it as well. When I know that I should be getting my delivery at lunchtime on a Wednesday, then I know I need to be at home at lunchtime on a Wednesday. Otherwise, I'm going to have to go and deal with the post office or deal with the the product being sent back home or deal, deal with an Amazon delivery person um, leaving it in my front lawn being re re ready to be nabbed by the, the local neighborhood dogs or <laughs> a, a, a local a local miscreant. So those are the reasons why it's important. It's all about reducing risk for the customer. Yes. Now, each of the five apps which we've mentioned so far, all linked to customer behaviors. And that's something you have to think about in terms of e-commerce. Yes, you're now an online store, but that doesn't mean that you can now behave like a pirate you still have to conduct yourself as if you were a physical store, which are people coming in and out. Now, there are so many other app types that we could mention, but the last one I'm going to mention is fraud prevention apps. Now, this is a specialist app and is not for everyone. There are many products and services which people might acquire, which historically have not been aligned to fraud i.e. someone using someone else's card, a stolen card, to actually make the purchase. However, there are some industries, unfortunately, where purchases made by a fraud are significantly higher in percentage. And if you find that you're within one of those industries, particularly if you're offering a higher value, economical value products, you might wish to have a fraud prevention app. This is something just to offer extra security to your customers first and yourself. Why your customers? Well, someone named Joe Bloggs has just purchased your item, but they didn't. Someone else purchased it for them. You are now protecting Joe Bloggs 
by actually saying, well, we're fully aware that you've made this purchase, but our security system doesn't actually believe that you did it. Um, we're actually going to refund it or verify whether you did. I won't go into it into a great depth because I imagine it's not applicable to everyone, but it's one of the specialist ones which we have had to adopt because in the early, early days, it was an expensive lesson and we lost thousands because of it. Absolutely. I mean, just just think about it from a, uh, from from your position as somebody who has just accumulated maybe thousands of pounds in sales, and a proportion of those sales have to be given back because it turns out that unfortunately people have been uh, committing fraudulent behaviour using other people's credit cards, and those people who have been taken advantage of, of course, are going to want their money back. Yes. Now. Not only do you lose your product, but you also use lose the money. So you're 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 left poorer and without your product. So be very conscious of that. And I'd say, especially if you've got, as Afalabi said, high value products that you're selling, you want to keep that in mind. Mm. Um so now you're actually in a process where you're making sales and you have started to gain revenue but you've also started to gain something else as well something which some people would argue which is even more important than money yes you've got data you've got data about your customers and in this next session we want to speak about using that data effectively so afalabi do you want to talk a little bit about what what can businesses do when they've actually collected data from their customers and how can they take advantage of that? Oh, wonderful. So data you'll be collecting will include anything from the geographical location, that where they're purchasing it from, um, which discount codes they're using, their gender, their age, their referral source, the sales source. Once you've got all of the, these metrics, you are then able to manipulate them. I.e., I now know that my third highest order country is Sweden. Okay, what are we doing with Sweden? Like, we're not actually explicitly doing anything with Sweden. Let's reflect on what's been done prior. How is that impacting Sweden? And can we explicitly now target Sweden? Or we now know that actually 90% of our customers are actually using a website via their mobiles What's that mobile experience like? Should we actually tailor our website to ensure that it's brilliant for the mobile more than the desktop? Or we're discovering that um, there's a specific referral source or a discount code which has been used more than anyone else. W what are we doing with that referral source? So this data enables you, one, to reflect on successes, potentially maybe even failures, and two, to plan action on how to either remedy or to benefit from the data you're gathering yeah and you can learn some really interesting things about your products and this is when you step away from what you like and step into what your customers like so often people can be surprised about what their biggest selling products are but with the data, you can actually identify that very specifically. Some products are going to be more popular than others. And you can use that information in order to design or 
introduce new products and services in the future. Yes. If you know what your top selling products are because of the conversion rate of those products, then you can even start planning out your uh, stock purchases to reflect the proportion that customers are engaging. So this information is absolutely vital for you being a successful business. Um, don't underestimate the power of the data that you receive. And also, what I would suggest is when you're taking that data, use it to build assumptions and then test those assumptions. So as I mentioned, looking at the data that you've received and um, you, know, you, you, you might see, for example, that Sweden is very popular and you're, you're thinking to yourself, well, why is Sweden very popular? Um, and there could be a whole number of reasons why Sweden is popular. Maybe some of the influencers that you're using are also very popular in Sweden. Maybe the some of the backlinks that you are that you have um, are um, websites that are popular in Sweden. Whatever they are, now that you've got a question in mind, you can build a hypothesis, which is we've got ambassadors that are very popular in Sweden. And then you can go and test that hypothesis and then actually go and see, okay, well, what if we start working with more Swedish ambassadors? Is that going to increase our engagement with Swedish customers even more uh, or less? So it's not just about responding to the data that you have, but it's about hypothesizing, if that's a word. Is that a word? It is a word. Amazing, thank you. Um, it's about, yeah, making a hypothesis about the information you have and use that to plan your strategy. That's wonderful. You, you learn so much. I, I recently learned of a search engine called, I think, DuckDuckGo. Yeah. Because I realized that we were receiving a great deal of traffic from a source called DuckDuckGo. I'm like, what's DuckDuckGo? And I realized it's a search engine with a specific um, USP, but we won't get into that now. Um, next deck retargeting and finance options yes you're getting traffic and yes you're getting customers but potentially with retargeting and finance options you have the option of increasing your customers and mm. tailoring your offering to your customers needs now these are almost self-explanatory retargeting and finance options um abby we retarget extensively and we use a company called AdRoll. Now that's the first company outside of a domain or, or e-commerce platform that we've mentioned, specifically because of how successful it's been for us. Um, what do AdRoll do, Abby, and why are they so great? <laughs> so uh, stand by guys for a five minute advert on AdRoll. <laughs> uh, honestly, AdRoll is amazing. Now AdRoll is a company which is most people's worst nightmare. And I'll, I'll explain that slightly different. Have you ever found yourself having a conversation with your friend about your favorite drink? And then you've gone online and then you see that drink being advertised to you. And you're just wondering to yourself, how, who's listening to my conversations? How do they know? Now, you have to blame companies like AdRoll for that because ultimately what they're doing is they are determining your product preferences based on your 
purchasing behaviors based on your characteristics, based on your personality type. Companies like AdRoll will use your web search history in order to create a profile of you and match that with people just like you and identify what you would like. Now, why is that valuable? Well, it's valuable for companies like ours because we can then make sure that we are targeting customers specifically. One of the most vital bits of information that we need is who is visiting our website. And as soon as you get on our website once, we've got you. Gotcha. And <laughs> and, and what AdRoll does is it determines based on, the web, on you visiting our website and you visiting other websites, the type of content that you need to see in order for you to uh, be converted into a customer. And as soon as you then go onto your news website, as soon as you go to um, a uh, cooking website with banner ads and banner ads enabled, you're going to see our face, baby. You're going to see us um, selling you stuff that you forgot you needed. And that's going to keep coming and reminding you. Now, that's great for us because we can then make sure that we're reaching specifically the people who want to see our content the people that have visited our website. That's good for you because you get a reminder of our best discount and our sales. And that's good for other businesses because you're spending money specifically on reaching out to people who you think will like your products. Yes. So AdRoll and companies like AdRoll are incredibly powerful at making sure that adverts only reach the people who should be seeing them. I couldn't say it better. People, this is one of those episodes I wish I had four years ago genuinely you're starting to build your e-commerce platform you've heard types of apps do not neglect retargeting apps next step briefly finance options your prospective client prospective because they're not your customer yet has seen your retargeting ad they've gone back to your website they're still deliberating one of the deliberations is due to cost are you expecting all of your customers to pay up front if you are, you're behind the current trends. You're still in the Stone Ages. With popular companies in Europe like Klarna and their competitors across the globe, customers now wish to slice, splice, dice, dance yep. their payments. Hashtag avoid their payments if they can. Yeah. Offer them flexible payment options. Does PayPal do it with PayPal credit? You know of Klarna already. There are other iterations of it. Allow them to pay in 14 days, 28 days. Allow them to pay across three months, four months. Allow them to have subscriptions. There are apps called Recharge where they can actually get a discount and have their order shipped to them at the same time every month or every two months or every three months. Investigate these because it will improve your conversion rate. Just one point to add about some of these uh, offers that allow you to split out your payments. Some people may be quite concerned about offering finance options because they think it might be exploitative. Um, a lot of the bigger companies, such as Klarna, will not offer you a finance option unless you pro unless you pass a credit check. Yes. So from that perspective, you are only offering the finance option to people who can afford it, which I think is very important because you don't want to be in a situation where people are going 
hungry because they're trying to pay for your product or now they owe money to Klarna, etc., etc. So it's really important, I think, with whatever finance option you provide that you make sure that it's robust in the way that it assesses the people that can use it. Well said. We now have customers. But how do we keep them? So key. Um, I'm taking a pause because I think when it comes to new businesses, there is this key focus on getting new customers in, which I think is important. But every new customer that you get into your business is going to cost you money. There's an acquisition cost associated with you getting a new customer to buy your product. However, existing customers who already know your brand are the lifeblood of your business. So they should not be neglected. If somebody has bought from you before and they are buying from you again, their experience is absolutely vital for you to understand. Why have you bought from me more than once? It's more important to answer that question than it is to answer, why are you buying from me in the first place? So when we talk about customer retention, we're talking about how you can ensure that your customer comes back to you time and time again. How can you make them feel valued? And how can you ensure that the experience that they have gained can be used to improve customer service in the future? So there are many ways that we can deliver customer retention or encourage customer retention. Afalabi, what would you say is your favorite customer retention strategy? My favorite one would be the easiest one. I'm, I'm stuck between two because there's one which I want to use more of. I think we really need to use more of. But I think that could be extremely powerful. But the one which I love for ease are automated offers. Mm. I'm able to estimate, guesstimate the lifetime value of a customer. I'm able to know when they will need a new product, know when they might want a new product. And thus I'm able to automate offers for them from the moment in which they've made their first offer. Well, sorry, before you continue, you said some really important things there. And I think we've just got a heart back to a previous point, which is the reason why you're able to estimate the average order value of a customer, the reason why you're able to estimate how long between purchases a customer goes is because of the analytics that are provided yes. from the outset. So it's so valuable that you delve into some of those maybe obscure figures so that you can actually see how they could benefit you in future. Sorry, please continue. No, you said it prior. The data is more important. That, that data will inform your practice. If the data is not informing your practice, you're leaving money on the table. And mm. that's why I've offered automated offers as my favorite one, because there's another one which I know that we could exploit even further. But yes, automated offers ensure that you're thinking about what they will need and when they will need it. And what offer will be conducive to them. That offer being sent to them automatically. Based on 
their purchasing habits so that if they have purchased again prior to your first trigger order um, first your prior to your first trigger automated email then that one won't be sent mm. it will then cascade to another one I like automated offers. I think it is my favorite as well. So I'm a little bit disappointed that you picked that one. So I'm going to talk about um, one which I think everybody sleeps on in this industry, which is newsletters. Yeah. I think email marketing is something which almost any e-commerce business can benefit from, but not many companies really take advantage of the power of email marketing. Email marketing is how you can create a community. Um, most of your customers check their emails every single day. Most of your customers will check their emails just as often as they check social media and more often than they check the news. So by leaving out an email marketing strategy, as Afalabi says, you're leaving money on the table. Um, but also by having a mailing list, it means that you can go anywhere and still be able to contact your, or still be able to engage with your customers. God forbid, if your, if your website got hacked and you had to start all over again, by having a robust email marketing list, you have potentially 10,000, 20,000, however many thousand is on your email list, customers, that you can reach out to and say, we've just had to move, engage with us. Yes. These are people that you don't have to spend money on, on introducing them to your brand again. People that have followed you through the journey, wherever you might go. And the other element of, of that is that these people have given you permission to sell to them. By signing up to your mailing list, they, have given, they are saying, please sell to me. Which means that, they are the perfect people for you to provide discounts to, offers to. They're the perfect people to reach out to when you've got a new product because they know you. They like you enough to say, I actually want you to sell stuff to me because you appeal to, me, to, to my sensibilities. Yes. So take advantage of that. Have good email marketing strategies and yeah, make sure you're, you're, you're not leaving money on the table when it comes to your email marketing. One of the reasons why I love expensive lessons is that the critically reflective process forces me to go away and do homework. Mm. And the homework task which I'm about to do, I'm going to challenge all of our listeners to do, especially if you have a brand which is alive and kicking. Okay, secret. I've signed up to one of our competitors' newsletters and they're, they're nothing to shout about. But I really shouldn't have just signed up to one. I should have signed up to all of them. Mm. Every single one. And just listening to you reminds me of the fact that I've signed up to one and they haven't sent anything for months. So they really need to come off our competitor um, analysis matrix because they're, they're just not really a competitor anymore. Mm. But those which we know who are, what are they offering their customers right now? What's coming? My homework, your homework. I love it. Next, um, rewards program. I'm going to leave the challenging one to you. Um, <laughs> customers like rewards. When I was young, Mumsy had a Tesco rewards card. Why she wasn't going to Meta, I don't know. 
I may have got better trainers if she did. But yeah, she had a Tesco rewards card uh, as a club card. Um, and she was like, yeah, don't forget my club card. It's on my keys over there. And go to the checkout, give the attendee the club card, you know, provide social distancing, we'll touch one another. She'll give it back to me. Mumsy will get a letter every few months or so with points, with more offers. I'm like, actually, are you saving anything here? They're just giving you more things to buy. <laughs> where's, where's the incentive? <laughs> but it works. People like rewards programs, especially your loyal customers. So create a rewards program. Give them targets to meet to release prizes, bonuses, discounts. This can be defined on orders, referrals, social media posts, wherever you want. But use it. You might as well. They've already purchased and you want to incentivize them to purchase again. And I, I think just to add to, to that last point, when it comes to rewards programs, I think in order to get people on board with them, it's a great idea to demonstrate what points will go towards. Yes. So Tesco do a very good job in making it very easy for you to, to very easy for you to understand how many points you need to get a five pound voucher, for instance. When you are giving away points, in order for you to make it tangible, it's also important for you to share how many points you will need to get a certain product or to achieve a certain discount so that people are actually working towards something and people actually want to almost unlock the next level or unlock the next trophy. Think about it like Nando's and your Nando's card where you know what different chilies allow you to achieve. Yep. So last but definitely not least is segmented promotions. Now, this requires people to have a very good understanding of their customers. But when you do have customers, it's like having children and knowing that all of your children are going to have very different characteristics and that the discipline that you need to give to one child might be very different from the discipline that you need to give to another child. So same way as your segmented promotions, understanding how different groups of customers act allow you to make sure that you're providing personalized support, engagement to each of those different customer groups. So when we talk about segmentation, what we're talking about is splitting your customers into like-minded similar groups and you can do this on any axes you can do this by their purchasing habits maybe they're high spenders versus low spenders or regular spenders versus infrequent spenders maybe it's their age group so you've got under 35s you've got 35 to 45 45 plus maybe it's their geography maybe it's people based in europe people based in the us maybe people based in southeast asia whatever the segmentation process is you need to understand how those people act and what you can provide. Let me give you a quick example. Let's say we're talking about customer segmentation in terms of age. Now, you know that based on your analysis of those segmented groups, that the 45 plus people, their only concern is how do I get the best value for money? So for them, your aim is to provide them with a 45 uh, plus discount maybe, 
where it's share or maybe it's a, an OAP discount where it's like show us your freedom pass and you get money off something like that or maybe it's yeah. a discount that you target to their channels so maybe you know that 45 plus people are more likely to be on Facebook more likely to read magazines and therefore you have a 45 plus discount code in a magazine or on Facebook pages that you know they're about to visit and maybe it's for a certain amount, 15% off or whatever. However, you know that your under 35 p uh, customers actually don't care that much about the discounts and care more about promotion and notoriety. Maybe they've got a Facebook page, for instance. So for them, the promotion is buy with us and get a shout out on our homepage. So you're offering people a slightly different promotion based on what you know they care about. And once again, for the under 35s, buy with us and you get a shout out on our homepage. You make sure you target that promotion to where you think they will be. Maybe they're going to be on TikTok or, or um, Instagram. Um, maybe you're going to go to a specific young person's event where you know that under 35s are going to be like a concert, you know, or comedy show. And making sure that people who you believe will benefit from that promotion have access to it. And that's what we mean when we say segmented promotions. Some people, when you give them money off, they will always take money off. You know, they will always take a discount code. But you really didn't need to give them a discount code for them to buy. Yeah. So it's about understanding the different types of customer groups and understanding how to engage them and get the most out of them. There are many aspects of this episode, which could be episodes in themselves. Mm. Customer segmentation is definitely a future episode that we'll delve into because it's, it's so broad, but so powerful. And there are case studies of major brands, which you engage on a daily basis, who do it brilliantly. You don't even realize they're doing it. Yeah. But we've done good today, bro. Yeah, we managed to do it. We managed to, to, to cover quite a lot of ground in a very short space of time. Now, this is where I'm looking for the call to action, um, which is share this. You are currently trying to build your business. You are looking at e-commerce. Listen to this again at a safe time when you don't have the distractions that you have currently and share it with that comrade of yours, that sister, that friend, who you know is also trying to build and doesn't know where to start. And currently they're just visiting websites, looking at different packages, but once they select one, they don't know what they're doing. Get them to listen to this episode, get them to action each of the steps and then get them to contact us. That last bit is, is the most valuable bit. I don't take pleasure in producing episodes like this, mainly because I've just provided you with a very high level helicopter view of some very, very critical bits of information. And the only way that we can really help you is by getting your very specific questions. Um, if you're not sure about what those specific questions are, then maybe you're not far enough in the process. But there are people listening to this who are nodding along going, well, that's all good and well, but how are you going to help me with X? Um, well, let us know. Tell us what your problems are. Tell us what your challenges are. And not only will you be helping yourself, 
but you'll be helping other people who had that same problem but don't realize it and other people who didn't even know they had that problem and don't realize it yet my final note is e-commerce has changed the landscape of the world when you look at new money which is significant money the likes of amazon being under 30 years old being developed in a garage and the founder is the wealthiest man in the world he, he is the face of how big e-commerce can be but there are so many other examples you've got the the counterpart in china with alibaba e-commerce can literally change the landscape of your life if you do it well and it's our ticket in, in previous episodes we've spoken about hoarders and the poverty mindset well e-commerce can liberate us from that and allow us to actually create something from our very home it's expensive my business. my my final point is um a couple of years ago now we were doing very well in terms of sales and we believed that it was about time that we revised our pricing strategy. Um, I looked at our homepage one morning and I immediately picked up the phone and called Afalabi and said, Afalabi, change all of the passwords. We've been hacked. We've been hacked. We've been hacked. Somebody's gone on our page and changed all of our prices to one pound and we are no i think it was 79p and we are losing money because they're buying our products like like um like like it's going out of business and we're losing money immediately change all of the passwords we've been hacked it turned out that there was an administrative error and we had just changed the prices wrong um and rather than um, increasing all of our prices by about 79p we changed all of our prices to 79p um, so as I said this is company directors sharing with you the fruits of their labor and some very expensive lessons this is the expensive lessons podcast have a great week take care everyone <laughs>